0: Welcome to Episode 128 with my guest, listener Allison Baziak. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, an hour or two of honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions and past traumas to everyday compulsive negative thinking. The show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. That's also the Twitter name that you can follow me at. And uh, go check out the website. There's uh, all kinds of surveys you can take there. You can also see how other people um, responded to surveys. And um, you can be a part of the forum. You can support the show. Um, and actually, uh, I am. my, my Lamictal is um, about two months into taking it, I think, month and a half maybe. No, two months. And um, it's going great. It's really going great, and I'm back in the wood shop, woodworking, and I couldn't be happier. So I am going to be raffling off a cutting board for uh, monthly donors, and um, the cutoff to submit a um, a number to guess is uh, Wednesday, whatever. The God, could I be less fucking prepared for this? Um, this Wednesday is the cutoff. Uh, At noon to get your guess in. Um, I'm going to pick a number between 1 and 500. And monthly donors, um, uh, the number of guesses that you get is based on uh, how much you are giving per month. So if you uh, donate five bucks per month, you get one guess. If you're um, donating 20 per month, you get four guesses, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And people who have transcribed. I swear to God, I'm not drunk. People who have transcribed episodes in the past, uh, I decided that uh, I think it's fair to include you. Should you want a cutting board to uh, to get a guest, because a lot of work goes into transcribing an episode. So for each episode you've transcribed, you also get a uh, you also get a guest. Right now, I'm in my head about oh, you and your big cutting board. It's so fucking special. Listen to you talking about it like it's the lottery. Um, I gotta say it's a pretty beautiful cutting board. It's walnut and it's maple and, uh, I'll be posting a picture of it, um, shortly. So, um, yeah, feeling really, really good. And, uh, thank you for all of your support these last couple of months. Um, I know, um, uh, some of you were worried about me and, uh, I always kind of feel like I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull out of it eventually. Um, and, and I always do, um, the other thing that I wanted to mention was this this episode uh with listener Allison Basiak was recorded about 10 months ago. Um So just know some of the stuff I was talking about, like the med that I was on back then, I've since stopped taking because um, it was just I was gaining weight and it worked for a while, but then it stopped. The other thing I want to mention is um PodFest, L.A. PodFest. Um, I'm going to be a part of that. And um, the day that I'll be doing a live version of that is Sunday, October 6th. That's going to be here in L.A. And uh, for more information, go to LAPodFest.com. And still planning to come to Toronto November 15 and 16. I think that is about it for the for the messages. Let's get into um, a survey before we get to our our interview with uh, with Allison. I got two emails from people um, that I'm not going to read. I'm just going to give you the gist of them. Uh, one was from um, a person who. Uh, Wants to be referred to as future counselor, and she feels like my stance on porn is anti-porn. And I basically wrote her back and said, "I'm not anti-porn per se. Just for me, I'm anti-porn, and for people who use it to numb themselves, um, or for the people who participate in porn uh, for the money to the detriment of their self-esteem. That's the only ways that I'm I'm anti-porn. If um, yeah, if you enjoy it and it's not addictive or numbing for you." Um, and it's not degrading your self esteem. Masturbate away. And the other uh, email I got was from um, a listener named Puddin, who I've uh, I've corresponded with in the past, and I don't really have time to read her email, but it's a very very sweet kind of heartbreaking email. And the gist of it was that it hurts her sometimes when I talk about. She's she's a a, a parent who um left her family um she didn't realize it was she was kind of under the spell of her mental illness when she left her family to be with uh, a guy who it wound up not working out with and she agonizes over that decision 12 years later and has trouble forgiving herself and sometimes she feels like on this podcast we make parents out to be villains and um I apologize to any parents that feel that way that's never my intention my intention is to get the people who went through stuff as kids to be able to have compassion for themselves and to cuz a lot of them can't get into that headspace that their parents might have done something that that hurt them and my intent is not to make it sound like the parent did that intentionally but that wall has to come down to be able to Heal to have compassion for ourselves because a lot of us feel like we're throwing our parents under the bus because many of them did awesome things for us so that's my stance on that and then the email that I want to uh, read is from a listener who calls herself Annie and she says um Paul, how's it going? I recently started, uh, listening to, uh, your, your podcast. I don't really have any mental illnesses right now, although I used to have depression and slight anxiety. I'm not really like your regular, regular listeners. I just have a thing going on that does concern my head that I would like your opinion on and to know if I'm the only one who feels this way. I'm a 21 year old girl who would to find herself as very traditional and old school. I'm straight and feminine and very proud. I love being a woman. I love stereotypical things about being a woman, like having the man pay for everything, cooking, cleaning, wearing skirts, dresses. I really dislike wearing pants or sneakers or anything a boy would wear. My question is this, is this normal? Like another thing is my parents are urging me to get a job that is not a priority to me. I would prefer doing what I do now, cleaning the house and occasionally cooking. I don't even really want to get a car because, quote, boys drive me around. The only thing I want in life is to be a mom. I don't really see a problem with this, but wondered if I was the only one or if it is okay to be this dependent on a man. And um, I wrote her back and said, "Uh, I'm so glad you like the podcast. Uh, Great question. I'm not sure I have an answer to it because I think it's a really complicated issue and someone would probably need to know you and your life more intimately, like a therapist, to weigh in on it. Uh, here 's what I am safe in saying it 's not healthy to want to be taken care of or rescued. It is healthy you don 't want to divide responsibilities in a partnership uh, and find to have preferences for what feels good and natural to you, but sometimes we have to wind up doing things we 'd rather not do uh, The not wanting to drive yourself did strike me as something that could potentially be problematic or indicate a deeper issue. Um, I like a therapist, uh, especially one who deals with couples. Um, Uh, Oh, I think a therapist, especially one who deals with couples, would be a great person to take these questions to. I would also add that it might be important to not be too rigid in matching our gender identity, masculine or feminine, with our duties and obligations. I think part of being an adult and a spouse is stepping up and doing things sometimes when you don't feel like doing it. And finally, uh, looking for a man to, quote, complete you, even though that's not what you said, that was not the words you choose, that's kind of the feeling that I got uh, from you is that it can be a really dangerous road, and it often invites men uh, or women who in the beginning um, love that feeling of being needed and depended upon, but it often plays into the sickness of theirs, which is a need for control, and when the initial rush of a relationship begins to wear off, the problems and resentments often then begin to show because control can be really addicting for partners and both need to know how to not over or underuse their rightful power. And they're really gray areas. They're hard to talk about in a general way, but I took a crack at it, and I hope that I hope that makes sense. So, go to therapy. That's basically what I'm saying. Talk to a therapist or a professional, um, or listen to a long-winded podcaster.
1: Every human being has weird thoughts going through their head.
0: Oh, God, that's so embarrassing. I'm afraid I'll never get another job again. That I will die and will have not been special. My brain has the gift of seeing the terrible. The million-pound tourniquet being turned against my chest that was constant. Then I started sabotaging my own career. Wanting to die and... To stop him from feeling any joy. <laughs> That is
1: Very uncomfortable in my own body I ended up becoming a male prostitute
0: And what I became was an animal They took away my shoelaces I became chaos Like it hurts, I just want to go, I just want to leave You have no idea what a small part of your life this is You go to a spark group, it's like creating a family that you didn't have
1: I mean life is wild Event.
0: My body was abused.
1: 99% judgment about that event.
0: But they couldn't touch the best parts of me.
1: But the world is a little bit wounding. It's also glorious. It does always get better. It really does.
0: I'm here with listener Allison Baziak, and uh, she's down here in, in Southern California for PodFest, first annual PodFest.
1: Hopefully more to come. I'm sure
0: there will be. It's. It already seems like it's a, a, a big success, a lot of people uh, coming down to check it out and a a lot of podcasters doing it i'm a little bummed they're not doing any non-comedy podcasts this uh this first year um but maybe they'll they'll there's always next year there's always next year um so we were talking before we started uh recording uh that you're nervous
1: not anymore not good i'm actually really i'm comfortable talking with you so
0: Good, good good um where would be the best place to start? Uh, you were describing yourself before we started uh, recording. What, what was the, the <laughs> sentence that you said?
1: What was it? I'm neurotic, obsessive, paranoid, um, oddly narcissistic, and full of incredible self-loathing.
0: <laughs> Human beings are... We're so complicated. We're so complicated. You know, the the thing that always puzzles me is the the, the narcissist with low self esteem. Um, although I guess if you think about it, narcissism is a way of trying to fill that bottomless pit that you're not that you're not enough. So it, you figure if I can just obsess about myself, I'll be able to fill that that hole.
1: Yeah, I haven't gotten to the point where. I get really depressed if people don't like the pictures that I put up on Facebook or Instagram or anything right. like that. So um, I'm less narcissistic than some of my friends.
0: Yeah. But uh, you're 29 years old. I am. And you were raised by parents who were very attentive.
1: Yes. Um, my family is from the eastern side of the United States and My parents decided to move about an hour away from the rest of our family, so our family was my dad, my mom, my brother, myself, and occasionally my aunt, because she came to help out. Um, And your
0: brother, older, younger?
1: uh, Three years older. Okay. And when I was six, my mother started having difficulty feeling things on the left side of her face. Um, turns out that she had an enormous brain tumor and had to have two surgeries to have it removed because it was that large. And it was 1989. Um, in between the first and second surgery, my grandfather died. So,
0: Were you close to him?
1: To a certain degree. Um, he had a stroke before I was born. So talking to him was very stilted and one-sided. But we went to visit my mother um, after the second surgery. Half of her head was shaved, and she had metal staples in it in the shape of a question mark. And um, I remember crawling into bed and pulling out a storybook and asking her to read to me, and she started crying because she knew what the words were supposed to mean, but she just couldn't vocalize it.
0: Oh, my God. Um. And you were six?
1: I was six. Yeah. And uh, it makes my aunt cry when she hears me recount that, and uh, I actually mentioned to my parents the possibility of me being recorded. So uh, we had a discussion and my dad was a little teary about it.
0: Yeah? What, what, why?
1: He had to deal with a lot. My parents originally got married without wanting kids. So they waited until later in their marriage to have them, I think, let's see, they were born in 1949, and my brother was born in 1980. So they were 31, maybe? No, that doesn't... I don't know math.
0: 49, and he was born in in 80? Is that what you said? Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think that's right.
1: So, yeah, they waited until... They were, they had been married for eight years mm-hmm. and had my brother, who has worse ADHD than I do, and then had me. And then the bunch of stuff happened with my mom's brain, and we were sent to different friends' house. Like, every other night, we would go to... Uh, family friends, then we'd go to family, then we would go to church friends, and then we'd go just all over the place for about two or three weeks. And my dad would come home broken because he would he would just feel like he lost a part of himself. My mom was incredibly left-brained, and after the surgery, she's now completely right-brained.
0: Wow, really? She
1: has no feeling on the left side of her face, um, which is pretty funny when they go on vacation, especially when they were in Australia, and she got sand in her eye and had to wear an eye patch on a cruise. Wow. Um, but yeah my uh my closest closeness to my family has been both a blessing and a curse, I think um, it's It's really hard when you see two people that are so in love. And don't fight in front of you at all, never heard them say one bad thing about each other mm-hmm. um and they never let us play the other against them. Mm-hmm. so well, Mom said we could do this, and so Dad would say, "Oh, okay, he'd say, no no, 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 no no, that's not right so they had a they had parenting down, and they were very supportive and and very encouraging with certain things um but it also kind of put this thought in my head that my parents are always going to be there. So, the first time something bad happens, I think, where's my mom? Or where's my dad? So, it's it's kind of hard listening to your show and and hear people talk about like like a horrible upbringing or or even like a moderately terrible upbringing and and think, no, I, I had it pretty good. Why am I so fucked up then? It's...
0: I'm glad you're a guest. I'm really glad you're a guest because I think there's a lot of people that probably feel the way you do, Allie. And that can then exacerbate the negative feelings that are already there because then we can't have any compassion for ourselves because we think we're being a baby or we're weak or all these other things um maybe i you know i shouldn't put words in people's mouths but
1: um oh no i'm i'm completely competitive i'm like no 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 i should be more fucked up than this person because i can feel the feelings that are in me mm-hmm. and they can't feel it but
0: my feelings are valid goddamn it Say that again, because that, that, that confused me. You're-
1: um, <laughs> my inner brain is kind of an asshole, hmm. uh, where I'll have contradictory things happen. Like, I'll think my points aren't valid, but then something else in my head will say, no, 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 that's logical. Fuck that side of your brain. So it's, I'm, I'm a very scatterbrained person. So it's really hard for me to to pay attention to the voice, and I'm using air quotes because I don't actually have voices in my head. Um, I, I feel the need to clarify that all the time. Yeah.
0: Uh, ideas? Head. Would it be fair to call them ideas? Yeah,
1: definitely. Thoughts? Um, like, a thought like, "Well, you live in Portland now. There are seven bridges here. Drive off one of them." Well, no, that's not logical. And I'll have this conversation in my head and I'll go, what, where did that come from? I, I don't get it. And it's so hard for me to, to figure out where it's coming from and, and how how the brain works.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm just like, I...
0: Is it, is it possible that because there was such a sense of security when you were a kid that now adult life is so scary and there's an anticipation that it's all going to fall apart and the the idea of suicide would be a way of just rushing the failure that's going to happen anyway
1: oh yeah 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 everything is ruined forever always yeah um i guess we could talk about that
0: okay let's talk about that
1: i am a three time failure of in your, in your mind,
0: you're a three-time failure.
1: Well, you know...
0: Let's let's talk about it. Because uh, <laughs> I have the feeling you're probably being harder on yourself th- than... Uh, I've yet to have a guest on this, on this podcast that uh, was not too hard on themselves. But go ahead. Let's see if you're well, the first.
1: The three-time failures... Uh, the three failures are suicide attempts. Uh, the first one was pills... But I, never, I didn't actually take them. How old were you? Oh, um, probably just going into high school, 15, maybe. Okay. And um, I remember sitting and, and staring at them on the counter, and I didn't know what they were. Now I know that they were Prozac, so I don't know if they would have done anything. But it was, you know, if I probably just take all of those and then go raid the, the liquor cabinet this will all go away Mm -hmm. because I think that as a kid everything is catastrophic Um, everything that I was trying to deal with after having such little experience in life was too much for me to handle like I I couldn't handle friends leaving and, and people going elsewhere and coming to grips with my own body and so I just sat there and stared at the pills and then heard the garage door opening. So I put them back in the cabinet and my mom came in and I was doing my homework. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the so, second uh, so, so, so
0: it wasn't really a, a suicide uh, uh, attempt, but you were you were very close. It was
1: a suicide contemplation, okay. I guess. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the second time... <laughs> oh, God, this is embarrassing. Um... I was always a fat kid. Uh, I had a gastric bypass um, in 2009. But in high school, I was a fat kid. And uh, (laughs) you're going to laugh at this. Please laugh at this because it will make me feel better. I tried to hang myself and the tree branch broke.
0: (laughs) That's awesome.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I think that it was... um,
0: I think it, when I say it's awesome, it's awesome that you can laugh at it, (laughs) and that laughing about stuff like that with somebody is food for my soul. Um,
1: I have a sense of humor about my psychoses. I I think that, you know, they are, they're stuff that I have to suffer through, Mm -hmm. but I can suffer with a smile and I can make people laugh doing it, so... I'll tell people my problems but hopefully I'll make them laugh along the way
0: mm-hmm That's
1: all I, like, what, hope for. what
0: do you remember thinking or feeling when the when the branch broke
1: um <laughs> I think the words that came out of my mouth were <coughs> what the fuck and then I got up untied the noose and uh, just left the rope lying in the woods and just stared at... I should have taken that broken branch and, like, hung it up in my room as a badge of honor. Like, ha-ha-ha! I
0: could not foil
1: myself. <laughs> or, no, I was... I,
0: you did foil I yourself. I did. Yeah.
1: <sighs> Fat Alley. Is that yeah. what you called yourself? Um, not out loud, but, yeah.
0: What were the thoughts that you had about yourself when you were an adolescent?
1: That I was overweight, unlovable, I was too heavy, and my hips were too huge. And I mean, they still are, but you know what? That's fine.
0: What do you mean they're too huge?
1: I I knock shit over all the time, Paul. Like, I walk by a counter, and there goes a glass. Well, crap.
0: Is it possible that you're you're clumsy and that your hips are okay? <laughs> is that a possibility?
1: A, well, yes, it's it is possible, but I I never felt normal. Like I never felt like a normal kid. I had to shop at plus size shops, and I mean I was two hundred and seventy eight pounds in high school, and I was just like, you know what? I'm not the best looking person. So I'm going to do I'm going to be the weird person. So I shaved my head. And then uh I don't know how it started but started cutting myself. Cuz I was just like I'm going to take out my frustration at my own body by making myself hurt.
0: What what was that experience like the first time you cut?
1: Um terrifying actually. Um
0: Did you draw blood?
1: I did. I didn't.
0: Where did you cut yourself?
1: Um, my inner thighs.
0: Mm-hmm. Was that so you could hide it?
1: Yes. I I never wanted to do my wrists because my parents aren't stupid and they know what to look for. Yeah. Um, my my dad worked for the chief medical examiner. My mom worked in a prison. They know if wounds are self inflicted. Yeah. So, I did a lot of that to hide it. Wore jeans instead of shorts and just use the, well, I don't really like the way my legs look, excuse.
0: And what would your parents, would you go to your parents with your anxiety about how you didn't like how you looked and your weight and stuff like that? What was, was this all just kept inside? Was, was there any kind of counseling on their part? What? Uh, was, was there a connection to another human being, or is this just all you trapped in your head?
1: I don't, I don't necessarily know if I actually went to my parents and said, "I, I don't like the way I look. I don't like this. I don't like that." But I do know that my parents noticed, because it was, "Oh, are are you really gonna eat that extra piece of bread?" Or, "Oh, are you really gonna have another glass of soda?" And it was. It was more a passive aggressive mm-hmm. than it was um blatant like you are you're purposefully hurting yourself by putting too much food in your mouth. Um,
0: what what feeling would you get when you would reach for that extra What 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 would the feeling be when the food went into your mouth and what would the thoughts be in your brain?
1: At first, it was sweet, sweet rebellion, Paul. Because when someone said, are you sure you want to eat that other piece of bread? I was like, fuck yes, I do. Yes. How dare you tell me? I'm a teenager. How dare you tell me what to do with my life? Because I was dramatic.
0: At what age did the overeating start?
1: I I don't even remember. I I was always a pudgy kid. Mm -hmm. Like, I wasn't... I wasn't chunk from the Goonies, but I was still
0: plump. Do you do you remember was there a, a, a moment where you s- realized, oh, food is an issue for me?
1: Yeah, I was probably thirteen. Okay. Actually no, I can tell you when I started gaining a bunch of weight. Um I stopped dancing when I was eleven and continued to eat like I was still dancing. And so I was throwing carbohydrates in myself, and I wasn't exercising any of it off, so it was just starting to pack on and When I was thirteen, I just took a look at myself and I went, "Who is this person that's staring at me in the mirror? This is a uh... I mean I know those eyes, but uh, what's happening with that pudge
0: uh was there a reason why you why you stopped dancing?"
1: It was it was never really a passion of mine. It was more of something to do socially. I had a tendency of getting yelled at for staring at myself in the mirror.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was just like, "Look at what arms can do!" And that arm is attached to me, and so I can tell what the feeling is of lifting the arm and doing a plie. And so I was making, I was making a connection with the, the actual physical response that your body has when you're making movement and what it looked like while you were doing it. So I was fascinated with it. And I like, I like seeing how things work. So I, it was never really my thing. And the woman that talked, she was very nasal and very loud and Allison, am I going to have to close the curtain? So I was 11, and I was like, I don't even want to deal with this anymore. So I just walked out one day and said, Mom, I don't want to do this. And she said, okay.
0: Is it is it fair to say that, that you've always felt a little dis, disassociated from your body?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: Okay. Because that was the, the thought that struck me when you were talking about looking at yourself in the mirror. It, you know, I I got the feeling that, like, you almost couldn't believe that you existed because you felt invisible or something Um, I know that was just a thought that that, that popped into my mind.
1: No that does make a lot of sense. Um, I'm I'm the younger child and my mom actually apologized for this when they came to visit me Um, she said I'm so sorry that we didn't pay as much attention to you as we did your brother and I was like I I don't what do you mean I, I don't think you did. She said, well, with all of his ADHD issues and having to deal with things like that, we we feel sometimes that, or I feel sometimes that I, I let you slide through the cracks, and I'm really sorry about it. And uh, she talked with me about the cutting, and she was like, I, I didn't know what to do, so I gave you to a therapist, or I gave you to which wasn't the one that gives you medication.
0: A psychiatrist.
1: Psychiatrist. Yeah. Okay. She gave me to a psychiatrist, and uh, the psychiatrist put me on Prozac. And then.
0: I, I I should back up. There are some carnival workers who are licensed to dispense uh, psych meds, it, but they're few and far between.
1: It's very possible that she did work at a ca- uh, at a <laughs> carnival because she did smell a lot like candy
0: corn. <laughs> So go ahead. I completely <laughs> killed your flow for oh, no a, a very subpar joke. I love it. All right. Um, so she sent you to a psychiatrist.
1: Yeah. She sent me to a psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist did a lot of, mm-hmm, really, writing things down, and I'm just sitting there talking, and she's essentially just taking notes and everything that I'm saying and it's not it's not a conversation Mm -hmm. and so I would leave there and I I wouldn't even remember what we had talked about and so my mom would ask she'd be like oh what did you guys talk about if you don't mind me asking and I was like honestly I don't remember and I would have told my mom like I tell my mom a lot actually but I had no idea and she said well why don't you take notes I was like you know what that's a great idea So, obstinate teenager Allie (laughs) shows up with a notepad. So, how does my depression make you feel? And it kind of caught her off guard, and she was like, what? And then after about three sessions of me doing that, she was like, you know, I think that we've done pretty much everything that we can do here. Um, I think the medication is working great. So, I'll talk to you in about three months. I was like, fine. Never talk to her again.
0: You know, it, it, it struck me as you were describing talking to her and her just kind of coldly taking notes, um, that what you were looking for... Was,
1: I was looking for a confidant.
0: I was just going to say somebody who can reflect your experience back to you, and it actually made what you were feeling worse, which was a feeling of being invisible.
1: yes. I I felt like I was talking to empty air. Yeah. And as much as I like doing that or like the feeling of doing that on a stage somewhere, mm-hmm. I know in my brain that there are people out in the audience. That woman, all I could hear was scribble, 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 scribble. And it felt... I felt like I was being abandoned by a person that was supposed to be offering me the support that my parents were paying for. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: If if I can just interject for a second there, there, I got an email from a, a listener a little while ago, kind of wanting to know what type of professional help to reach out for. And basically what I said was there are, Social workers, there are therapists, and there are psychiatrists, and I'm I'm sure I'm probably leaving something else out, but those are kind of the three major ones, and psychiatrists can prescribe you meds. They can also do um, some therapy and counseling, but they tend not to be as good at that as therapists. Therapists cannot prescribe medication. They are good for going to on a weekly basis and telling all the nitty-gritty things of your life. They are good at reflecting back to you and having you feel felt. And they're they're the ones that are the good confidants. Um, there may be some psych- psychiatrists that are good with that too, but they tend not to not to be good in in that area. So ideally if you needed to take meds, you would see a psychiatrist for your meds see them every couple of months maybe twice a year or more if your meds need tweaking but you don't depend on them for the bearing of your soul you need to give them the broad strokes so they can understand how to medicate you but the the week-to-week blow-by-blow accounts of your life really are best served by going to a, a, a therapist and they tend to be more uh educated and um tend to be more compassionate and good with the uh, helping you feel that 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 feeling felt as i said um so i'm sure that's probably obvious to some people out there listening but to the ones that don't know that i feel like that's an important distinction to make and ideally if you have the money and the time going to both is is the best of um, both worlds. That's that's what I do.
1: Well, and the thing is, I didn't know that there was a difference between that, and I miss my therapist from the East Coast. Like, she'll occasionally send me a text message, and I'll send her a text message to say, "How's everything going?" I'll be like, "Oh, this is how everything's going," and I did not realize that I could I could find someone like that until I got the gastric bypass, because they put you through this rigmarole. Like, you have to lose a certain amount of weight, you have to go through a psych eval, and then when you go through the psych eval, um, they have you fill out multiple choice questions. I don't know why, but that's okay. And then you talk to the therapist for a half an hour, and she basically determines whether or not you're a good candidate, because she doesn't know, like... they want to make sure that you're not going to react negatively Mm -hmm. to to the surgery and after spending a half an hour with her i was like i feel amazing i feel fantastic this is this is a good thing i don't want to i don't want to leave without without asking her so i asked her are you taking any clients and she said normally no and i was like oh she was like but i have saturdays free so she made a special, um, accommodation That's to, beautiful. to fit me in. And, um, it,
0: that must've made you feel gr- just so awesome. It did. And it was, um, sorry,
1: I really liked talking to her and it's not like she went away forever. It's just, I'm not there so it's it's difficult to talk with her, but I loved making her laugh, which I know sounds terrible and no, it doesn't. and weird, but with all of the negative that I would throw at her, I mean, I didn't always get along with my sister-in-law, and so I'd go there and I'd just rail into the personality of a person that I didn't really know very well, and... She'd take it. She would just sit there and she would let me vent my frustration about all of it and occasionally give me a little bit of feedback as to what it was that I was saying. And then I'd crack a joke and we'd both laugh for about five minutes. Mm -hmm. And it felt so good and it's so validating that, like, it felt like she was actually listening to me Mm -hmm. and that she could repeat, repeat back to me. Well, I mean, I guess parroting what it is you're saying. Mm -hmm. It helps. Well, it helped me. I don't know if it'll help everybody, but it it definitely helped
0: and, me. And that is the beauty of a good therapist is that it's a template for further relationships because you understand. Oh my God, I feel understood. I feel felt. I somebody is interpreting my shame and my crazy and letting me know that I'm actually pretty normal. I'm just, it, this is just how I re, my brain reacts to feeling overwhelmed.
1: And you know, you might not want to hear this, but you actually are quite good at, at, at the whole therapy thing yourself because there are things that you have said back to me that I wouldn't, I would not have made that connection. I did feel invisible for the longest time and it was so strange feeling like the elephant in the room when i felt like i looked like the elephant in the room so it was i i never would have attributed that to feeling invisible
0: so thank you well you're 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 welcome and um i maybe i relate because um my brother um had some some health issues when he was a kid he had allergies and he was going to the doctor a lot and um he didn't like going to the doctor and he hated getting shots and so he would kind of throw... This is when he was a little kid and he would kind of throw tantrums and it gave me such anxiety that I just... My goal was stay under the radar, don't make waves. But I think the downside of that is that you then don't think about your needs and you begin to... to not have a sense of self, absolutely. And, yeah. So I, I I know how that feels, and it's not it's it's not like a trauma. It's like a thousand cuts. Yes. You know, and and you feel
1: is that like origami cranes? Like <laughs> yes. after a thousand, you get <laughs> ultimate peace. Yeah. I can tell you, no,
0: yeah. no. Because you don't have any one thing that you can point to. And, you know, my, my mom, uh, has, you know, apologized to me many times and said, you know, we, we left you behind, you know, as a, as a kid. You were, you're such a sweet little boy. We should have paid more attention to you. You know, I would, and, and I, you know, try to tell her, hey, look, you know, you guys were doing the, the, the best you could. It's, it's just a situation that, you know, it's just part of, it's part of being human. Parents aren't perfect, and your parents sound like they really, they really tried. They sound like really good, sweet people.
1: They're fantastic, like, and they're still very supportive. And whenever something happens, my first thought is, "Well, I hope my parents can help me fix this," which is yeah. terrible, um, yeah. because I, I'm really, I'm not self sufficient mm-hmm. at all. Like, I went into debt when I was 24. I mean, it wasn't much. I mean, it was 10 grand. But also making minimum wage, it was uh, like a humongous hole that I dug myself into. And I did not want to admit to my parents that I needed help. Because I knew that they would help me. And I was of the mindset, no, I'm an adult now. I need to do this on my own. And then it just... It felt like, um, have you ever seen somebody with a wooden plank and then people just putting stones and stones and stones on top of it Mm -hmm. until the, the person is crushed underneath? That is exactly how every single bill felt when it came to my apartment. Money is one of the most confusing things to me because I want it. I know I want it. I just don't know how to get it or what to do with it when I have it. I'm like, let's go buy things and make myself feel better.
0: You know, uh, something that I wanted to kind of rewind and and talk about is this. There seems to be a dichotomy between the, the feeling invisible and then feeling like you're afraid that your parents aren't there like they were for you? Was there, was there a transition when you suddenly did feel like your parents were there for you? Because, because being afraid that you're going to fail and your parents are going to be able to bail you out, to me, kind of insinuates that there was a time when they were there and very supportive and you felt that connection to them.
1: Well, with the debt, um, It wasn't my first time. Um, I got about like two grand in debt. But my dad paid it, and then I just paid him weekly. And it was very simple. Mm-hmm. And no fuss, no muss. Wipe your hands clean. Well, that was taken care of. I don't need to worry about it. My credit rating is going through the roof. This is awesome. Um, And then when it just... When I decided to move out of my parents' house and get an apartment, I and started amassing all of this debt. I was like, oh, how, how did this all happen so quickly? And my first thought was, no, you're, you're an adult now. You left the house. Therefore, you should not feel like you can ask for help. Which I should not have listened to that side of my brain. Because it would have been uh, a couple thousand dollars less in the whole payback thing. But it was telling me, no, you put yourself here and daddy already bailed you out before, you rich spoiled little princess. And the thing is, my parents weren't rich. I was raised in the era of instant gratification. Like, oh, I can get a credit card when I'm 18. Oh, I have a cell phone. I can look up movie times immediately. Oh, what's that? You want to know what this word means? Let's go to Wikipedia. Everything that I want, I can get instantaneously. So I was just in this gluttonous tailspin, I guess. Like, okay, I don't feel good. I'm going to buy myself a $150 purse because that will make me feel better. And then the bill would come and I'd say, oh, I spend $150 on a purse and I don't have that. What now? What would I do? I'd eat something to make myself feel better. Mm-hmm. And then once that was done, I'd either have a stomach ache or a few extra pounds. And it's just, I was never fully um, aware of of taking accountability for myself. I was just like, yeah, something'll be fixed. Something can fix it. Mom and Dad'll fix it.
0: Have you have you ever thought of um going to uh like a twelve step program or support group for food or shopping issues?
1: No. And it's I know that I should. It's something that would be so easy for me to go to mm-hmm. and listen to and and find confirmation that this happens with other people, but I'm just, I'd like to say stubborn, but no, I'm lazy. And I'm, I'm just, I'm not motivated to make myself better at this moment.
0: Ugh. Well, you know, for, for most people, if they have an addiction, it, the pain has to outweigh the fear of going for help it has to get to that point for most people to to reach out for for help and um you know it happens it happens when it happens and i'm not saying that that's what you should be doing i have, i have no idea i'm 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 not your therapist but um it it uh i guess i just wanted to let you know that places like should you ever feel like those things are you're becoming powerless over them and it's making your life you know really fucked it's just nice to know that there there's a there's a solution out there for there you know there are 12 step groups for almost anything i i i think there's like over 30 different 12 uh, step groups for all different kinds of uh uh addictions in fact i should put a uh Create a page on the website um, with all the various support groups, twelve-step and otherwise, that uh, that are out there. Um, has your th- therapist ever mentioned uh, anything about that?
1: When I told her my trepidation of leaving, um, she was very encouraging. She was like, "This is something that you need to do. She said, this is y- you need to have your life start. You're 29 years old." you have lived within a 20-mile radius of your parents for your entire life, you need to do this. She's like, when you get to Portland, look for a gastric bypass support group and then work from there. So it's it's more of a matter of me not having insurance right now. Mm-hmm. And I know that there's a no fee therapy available. Mm-hmm.
0: But a, a gastric bypass support group should be free, shouldn't it?
1: To be honest, I haven't really looked into it. I haven't been... Well, the thing is, I've only had two panic attacks. Mm. I had one panic attack over money, and I had another panic attack because my cell phone died.
0: I am incredibly materialistic, Paul. (laughs) What the fuck? Most of us are. Most of us are.
1: But I want to buy all of the things, and then I want someone else to move them for me. (laughs)
0: The uh, the other thing that we were talking about is you were um you had filled out the shame and secrets uh survey and uh, you had shared your responses with me and uh, talk about the um some of the stuff that you talked about on your on your survey if uh, you're com- if you're comfortable
1: okay the thing is I I like to say that I have no shame I have guilt over my parents possibly having shame from what it is that I have to say, but for the most part, I'm open and honest about things if people ask me because I find that it's best to be honest about things than to lie about it and get caught in it. Mm-hmm. I did that a lot as a teenager. Learned my lesson. Yay, growth. <laughs> um, my, uh, my biggest shame... I guess, is the easiest way to classify it, is uh, I am completely infatuated with a married man.
0: Yep. And how how do you know him, and what is your relationship with him?
1: <laughs> okay, this is going to sound bad. I met him online, and... That sounds uh, bad. He and I are friends, and we talk back and forth through various emailing messaging stuff like that I should probably clarify it is not you Paul (laughs) (laughs) it is
0: not then this interview is over
1: (sighs) damn it I, I feel terrible about feeling the way about this guy that I do I mean he lives in a completely different continent yeah
0: do you know him very well from
1: online Surprisingly, yes. Um, It all started very, I guess, innocently.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: It was just chatting back and forth, things in common, and then confiding in in my neuroses, psychoses, Mm -hmm. whatever they may be and and his and um he he shared very little about his marriage which i thought was a little odd because it was obviously something that was a part of him
0: mm-hmm. um were, were these exchanges flirtatious a little bit on on whose part
1: I I hope on both cuz okay. if not then uh, I'm going to feel terrible. Actually, I already feel terrible. Um but then it it eventually progressed and and he started talking about his wife and it was I didn't like the things that were being said to me. I was like why is this person being treated so poorly by somebody that they love?
0: He was being treated poorly by his wife, and Mm -hmm. he was sharing that stuff with you.
1: Yeah. And it just hit me one day. I was like, "I, I don't know if I know what love is, but it might actually be this. And then I went, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not that girl. I've been cheated on, and the idea of even contributing to something like that is... No. Nope. Get it out of your head. So, of course, when I say get it out of my head, (laughs) what does my stubborn brain go? Let's think about him all the time. But just more like a fleeting, oh, I haven't talked to him in a while. But it's... It is not something that I'm proud of. But it's also not something that I'm necessarily ashamed of mm-hmm. because it's it's not like we're ever going to meet but I also am like oh I'd hate to be the wife and find conversations mm-hmm. talking about it and just be like well, yeah. why, why aren't you open with me um, but it's
0: It is what it is, I guess. You know, the the thing that strikes me whenever I hear about somebody that is infatuated with somebody online, um, the first thing that I always think is that while, yes, there may be a a connection and that you have similarities or whatever, but it always strikes me that there is a safety to that distance that makes it more attractive.
1: You hit the nail on the head. He can't hurt me. Yeah. He can't hurt me. I I already know where this is going. Nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. And it's... I mean, yeah, I've had sex dreams about him. They've been so vivid, I'd have, I've had to write them down so they'd get out of my head. But it's... I know that this is something that is not going to happen ever. And so I'm just like, meh.
0: What is the fear of letting uh, a guy get close to you?
1: I was with somebody that was incredibly abusive. And it's not great. But at that point in my life, I thought that I deserved it. So it's... uh, it is what it is. And
0: was he uh, physically, verbally? Yeah. All of the above. Both it w- What were some of the things that he would say or do to you?
1: Um he would constantly break up with me. Constantly. Like, Oh, I'm going away for the weekend, so um I guess this is it. What? How is it oh
0: and, and how would I don't you know. react?
1: I'd I'd cry the first couple of times. But it got to the point where I was just like okay, welcome back. And
0: because um, you thought I might as well I might as well settle for this because I'm not gonna I'm find not, somebody else to, to love me?
1: I don't deserve anything mm-hmm. more than this. I don't deserve to be happy. I don't deserve the relationship that my parents had because I caused so much heartbreak for my parents.
0: How did you cause heartbreak for your parents?
1: I stole from them. Um, I would constantly lie to them. And I cut myself and I mean I still to a certain degree self-mutilate and it's not it's more of a compulsion now than it is an actual like desire or drive but I feel like whenever my parents look at me, I know that they say that they're proud of me, but I just feel like they're so disappointed in me. And it's, it's probably all in my head. Like I, I meet people and I'm like, oh, that person hated me. And, but it's because I have such a low, it's not even a low self image. It's more of a thought that if someone could like me, and know all of this stuff about me that there is something wrong with them because <laughs> I know that I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to be happy. I, I think a part of me thinks that I'm destined for failure.
0: <laughs> and unlovable.
1: Yeah. I think that it's a broken tree branch every time and I just shrug it off now because that's the norm. Like, I... I wanted to be a writer and I got rejection letters and I wanted to be a singer Um, I actually wanted to go to the Academy of Music and Dramatic Arts and my dad was like it's there a a lot of girls going which I immediately took to mean you're too fat and ugly so uh, and not talented enough so just you should be an accountant Uh, which didn't happen but it's I, I keep saying it is what it is, and i it it sounds so dismissive for me to hate myself the level that I do um when i I also love myself a lot, like there are days that are so wonderful, and like the sun is shining, everything's beautiful and and then there are days when I'm just I can't turn any lights on in my apartment. Like, I can't look at myself in the face because, well, you're worthless. You didn't go to college. Well, you're worthless. You you don't have a full-time job. You don't have insurance. You can't talk to a therapist. It starts to pile up like the rocks on the, the wooden plank. And sometimes it's suffocating. But, I mean, you know it. You, you've you you've dealt with the, the escapism with the <laughs> video oh, games. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. You
0: name it, I've escaped into it, Allie. You name it. Because it's nirvana. Uh, it's because- absolute bliss
1: getting out of my head and not being me. Yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful to just go into a book or write for a character and just pretend that I don't exist. Because as much as I didn't like being invisible sometimes I just don't like being visible I don't like people seeing me I don't like people asking about the scars on my arm because I now pick at scabs like I don't start I don't mm. cut or anything like that but I just I pick at them and now my entire arm is is scarred I can't fix it and I, I don't I don't know. I'm sorry. Now you just got a bundle of,
0: of sad. <laughs> no. This is this is what this show is about is 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 letting that out.
1: Sometimes you need to do it. Like I don't mind crying. Uh, crying is sometimes necessary.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I I wish I could cry more. I love crying. It oh my is God. so feels so cleansing.
1: The the funny thing is, like, hearing things like, oh, um, yeah, uh, so-and-so's dad died. Oh, okay, well, I mean, what do we need to do? I, I think I learned at a young age that I didn't want to show weakness to people, especially my mom. Like, I never want my mom to see me cry. Because I know it hurts her. And so it's just translated to every everyone else i don't want someone to see my pain and have that affect them negatively i would put anyone else in front of me like their their well-being in front of me but I, that's obviously low self-esteem and <laughs> when i was talking to the therapist um back in the east coast i was like i was like well I, I mean i i might be depressed and she's like no no you're definitely depressed and you are self-mutilating so let's figure out what that is and um we never quite figured it out but i think that that's something that that I'm going to figure out it at some point.
0: You know, the, the highs and lows that you were describing, you know, of course, my first thought was that that sounds like people who've described being bipolar to me. And I'm so sorry that your first experience with a psychiatrist was so bad. Um, and I had to go see a couple of psychiatrists before I found one that's good. But the one that I have is fucking great. And I probably wouldn't be alive if I if I weren't on meds. Um, is it is it something that you could possibly go do go see a, a psychiatrist and at least see if if there's some help?
1: It's I'm, is i is that is that thought I, no, overwhelming? But the thing is, it's like I I don't want to take medication. Like I, I don't I don't want to.
0: But look at the side effect of cutting yourself of um. Not being able to resist buying a purse when you don't have the money. Those are the side effects of if you need medication. I don't know whether or not you need medication, but at least going to see a psychiatrist, you could
1: determine whether
0: whether or not. And I didn't know that I needed medication until I was on medication. And then I went, oh, my God. This is what normal feels like when people describe because I used to look at people like they were martians. I'd be like, "Why how do they laugh so easily? How do they not how are they able to get up out of bed and and you know, function? How can how can somebody clean a garage in in one afternoon?" Well,
1: when I'm when I'm having a really shitty day, I will clean. I'll clean until my fingers bleed. Well, that, that doesn't sound good either. Sorry.
0: <laughs> but my point is, There's is something Allie, wrong
1: with me, Paul. It's yeah, obvious. I'm on all the mental illness happy hour. Get out of my
0: Allie, back. Ellie, you are lovable. You are lovable exactly as you are.
1: But what if, but if I lose me?
0: You won't... Meds do not lose you. The Our natural selves are lost by mental illness. And treating our mental illness allows the true us to come through, to come forward. If I wasn't on meds, if I wasn't going to support groups, Allie, this podcast would have never been possible. I would be I would be drinking. I would be probably dead or certainly suicidal. I would have alienated everybody around me. Is that the natural me or is this show the natural me?
1: Well, I, I like you. As you are,
0: the, the, it is possible because I don't. I don't of,
1: know past Paul. Like I, you don't, would
0: not like past Paul, Ally. Tr- trust me, you would not. And that was not the natural me. But I couldn't judge that until I went to see a psychiatrist in conjunction with a the therapist and worked through stuff that has nothing to do with, uh, you know, the physical chemistry of my brain. But I would have never discovered that if I if I had left. You know, if I had taken uh, using meds off the table and said, that's a non-starter, my life would have been so sad and small.
1: I don't want that.
0: And there are aspects to your life that sound sad and small, but that's not the natural you, Allie. Your, Your mental illness is convincing you that it's you. And I'm trying to tell you I've been there. I've seen the world through the eyes that you're describing. And I know what that feels like to, you know, to cry because I can't find a pen, to cry because I can't find a parking spot and I feel overwhelmed, to not be able to get out of bed, to not be able to find the words to, to say something, to, to not want to meet friends because conversation feels like sandpaper. Does is any of this ring a bell?
1: A lot of it. Yep. Yeah. You know,
0: I I I hope I'm not overstepping my boundaries. You no, because I'm not do. a therapist. I'm not a psychiatrist. But I've talked to a lot of people with mental illness, and I have a lot of friends, and I know their lives intimately, and I know mine. And just when I see red flags, it it I, I have to I have to say it because I see so many lives wasted because people aren't open to certain types of help because they there's a stigma attached to that and that's what I'm trying to do with this podcast is to destigmatize mental illness and the treatments that are necessary for certain cer- certain types of it I'm done I'm putting my soapbox away
1: Can you make a joke please <laughs> <laughs> It's easier to laugh through the pain. It really is.
0: Well, I'll tell you a joke that I almost said, um, but but I kept my mouth shut when you were describing um, your mom in the bed uh, after her brain surgery. Oh, please do. And she had the uh, staple marks in mm-hmm. the shape of a question mark. I was going to ask if her doctor was the Riddler.
1: <laughs> my mom will even laugh at that. Holy crap. Uh, <laughs> okay.
0: Let's go. Let's go to a, a a fear list. Oh. I apologize to Allie because I I left the house and I was like I feel like I'm forgetting something and I couldn't put my finger on what it was and I forgot to bring a fear list and a love list so I'm going to um, Miles Davis them.
1: Sweet. Oh my God. You're gonna have to come up with so many, my friend. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm afraid that everyone is a figment of my imagination, and I have actually been in a coma since 2010.
0: (laughs) Uh, I'm afraid that you will never get the help that you deserve.
1: I'm afraid that by not having a therapist, I'm sharing too much and scaring people off.
0: Uh, I'm afraid that uh, even though I'm straightening my garage up, I'm still never going to get the urge to woodwork back. And all of the money that I've put into the machinery will be a waste and every time i look at that garage i will feel a certain amount of mockery
1: your work is so beautiful
0: oh you're nice
1: no i'm honest it's absolutely gorgeous and i just wish i lived closer so i could transport (laughs) some of that shit home (laughs) um i am afraid that i'm too nasal when i speak
0: uh you don't strike me as that uh, I'm afraid of that also. I'm afraid that my uh, Chicago accent is uh, hard to listen to. Paul. Dialect, I guess, not accent.
1: I am afraid that I've tried to learn too many things and as a result am mediocre at everything.
0: Uh, I'm afraid that um, when I play hockey and for no reason I feel way more tired than normal, uh, I fear that the reason is is because I have cancer and I don't know it.
1: I am afraid that I will only let myself be the one-night-stand girl.
0: I am afraid that the meds that I'm on, which are causing me to gain weight, um, will continue in that direction, and I will have to make the choice between being incredibly fat or um, miserably depressed.
1: I'm afraid that I will shoot myself in public. (laughs)
0: Uh, I'm afraid that I will be driving past in a car and have to see that. (laughs)
1: It would happen in a car on the L.A. freeway. Don't follow me home. Um, I'm afraid that I won't ask for help when I desperately need it.
0: Um, I'm afraid that my dream of supporting myself uh, doing this show um, will never come to fruition, and I won't have had a second option that I could have been doing all along. I will have put my eggs, too many of my eggs in one basket.
1: I love this show. Thanks. Oh, that's... Sorry, we're still in fears. I'm afraid of puncturing (laughs) my eardrum with a (laughs) Q-tip.
0: I'm afraid, speaking of ears, that uh, the excess earwax that I have is going to get worse and worse, and I'm going to be fully deaf uh, by the time I'm 60.
1: Oh. I'm afraid that people judge me more by my scars than by my tattoos
0: um, I'm afraid that I'm going to die um, the kind of death that I'm watching uh, a friend of mine die right now
1: oh, I would not wish that on anybody no I'm afraid that I sat next to patient zero on the flight here and I'm now incubating <laughs> a deadly virus
0: well fuck then I'm afraid too
1: <laughs> I'm afraid of being late to things
0: um, I'm afraid that I don't put enough effort into uh, my marriage and my wife is disappointed in her partner but doesn't say anything
1: I'm afraid that my parents relationship has given me false expectations of what relationships are supposed to be
0: Um, I think I'm out of fears as am I beautiful let's let's go to loves
1: uh i love looking at window displays during the holidays
0: um i love when a guest comes on the show and completely opens their heart up and gets vulnerable and cries
1: i lost my shit paul no you didn't I know. That's you good showed
0: thing. us your shit.
1: <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw it all yeah. over the room. No, I I'm, love it. But I we are part monkey. <laughs> uh, I love watching someone's eyes soften when they thank you.
0: I love when chicken parmesan uh, has the cheese perfectly melted on top and it's just a little bit brown. Nice.
1: I love folding warm laundry.
0: Uh, I love that PodFest is successful, and it shows that podcasts are uh, the way of the future, and people dig them in a way that makes its medium special.
1: I love that I can stand in the garden at Piddick Mansion, stare at Mount Hood, and feel peace when I think, yeah... This is my home now.
0: Uh, I love that the Beatles considered themselves to be Irish.
1: (laughs) I love the Bettys, Cuddles, and other various internet friends I have made and visited within the last few years.
0: I love that my car is seven years old and is still running well.
1: I love that I don't own a scale.
0: I love that I am close to being done cleaning and organizing the garage and that I was able to do it, even though it felt so overwhelming and impossible uh, months ago.
1: I love Dave Anthony's laugh. <laughs> uh,
0: I love my office, the the way it's decorated. It looks like an opium den, and when I go in there to record or edit at night and um I look around at all the vintage jazz and blues album covers that are on the walls and all the tiny little colorful lights. Um, it's It feels like a reflection of what I've always wanted my soul to feel like, which is warm and fuzzy and unique.
1: That's beautiful. Thanks. Um, I'll just do one more. Um, I love nights when my brain will shut off and allow me over four hours of sleep.
0: I love doing this show.
1: I love that you do this show.
0: <laughs> Allie, thank you so much for, uh, for being a guest and uh, being so open and honest and vulnerable. I really appreciate it.
1: Hopefully my struggle is similar to somebody else's and they can hopefully figure something else
0: that I out can, to do. I can guarantee that there are other people that will be able to relate. So thank you. Thank you many thanks to uh, to Allison and you know what i really liked about her as a as a guest is that there was nothing really that she could point to and um i think for a lot of us it's so confusing um because we don't have some event i mean you know what happened to her mom and stuff like that and her brother having issues that took her parents attention you know you can certainly point to them and those affected affected her but um i just thought there were so many issues that she had that um, are important to talk about, and uh, I really appreciate her opening up and, um, and talking about those. Uh, before I take it out with a stack o surveys, I uh, want to remind you, um, again, to submit your, if you want uh, to win that cutting board, um, submit a, uh, a guess or guesses, depending on what you qualify for, uh, between 1 and 500, and whoever guesses closest Closest will uh, will win that uh, that cutting board, and um, want to remind you that there's a couple of different ways to support the podcast. You can do it financially by going to the website mentalpod.com, making a one-time PayPal donation, or my favorite, the recurring monthly donation. And um, you can uh, donate for as little as five bucks a month. And um, once you set it up, you don't have to worry about it unless you choose to cancel or you um, your credit card expires. So, um, that, and that is kind of the financial foundation that allows this podcast to operate, pay for studio time when I need it, new equipment when I need it, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The website and, and all the stuff that goes with it, the surveys, all those pieces of software, the money that I give our web guy, um, when he goes over and beyond. Um, so, yes, if you, if you can, um, that, that would be awesome. You can also uh, support it non-financially by um, going to iTunes, giving us a good rating, or spreading the word through social media. So I'd appreciate if you did that. And as I mentioned a couple of episodes ago, somebody has created a subreddit uh, for the Mental Illness Happy Hour. So uh, go join that in the forum and fucking knock yourself out. All right, let's get to some surveys. Oh, there's also a, an Amazon um, search portal. If you're going to shop at Amazon, do it through our homepage, right-hand side, about halfway down. Make sure your ad blocker isn't, uh, isn't engaged because you won't see it. This is from the Struggle in a Sentence survey uh, filled out by a woman who calls herself Valentine about her depression. She writes, um, bipolar, deep depression, which sits in the soles of my feet and slowly pulls me down until I can't breathe or see anything but the ground. About her bulimia, she says, I exercise until I want to collapse, and even though it keeps me from killing myself, it is its own addiction. Um, about her epilepsy, she writes, it causes it has caused chronic pain in my shoulders, deep pain, which I try to balance out with self-injury. About her PTSD, she writes, when someone knocks on my door at night, I wake up and shiver, a si- shiver, silent gasp, unable to know that this is not my father coming to rape me. That is, that is fucking heavy. Um, about a sex being a sex crime victim, she writes, I will never say his name because calling him anything other than biological father feels intimate and personal. Well, my heart goes out to you, Valentine. Um, you got a lot on your plate, sending you a big hug. This is from the struggle in a sentence survey filled up by a woman who calls herself Fran, um, Fran Fran. About her bulimia, she writes, Although I've exercised the last three hours, it's never enough. I know I can do more. About her anorexia, food is my biggest enemy, but also what I fantasize about the most. And about her self injury and cutting, she writes, The physical pain is so much easier for me to identify and understand than my emotional pain. Um, this is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Dumb Jimmy. He is, uh, so you know he's brimming with confidence. Uh, He's straight in his 30s, was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, Uh, never been sexually abused. Deepest, darkest thoughts, sex, sex, sex. Even 10 minutes after getting laid, I can see a female on TV or in line at the market and think, hell yes, I'd like some of that. Deepest, darkest secrets, I hired another hooker yesterday. I only let her blow me, but as soon as it was over, I began to obsess about what diseases I was just exposed to since she was clearly a, quote, seasoned working girl um sexual fantasy is most powerful to you many and varied some make me think i'm beyond help but i behave for the most part aside from picking up hookers i pretty much keep it all legal um uh would, would you ever consider telling a uh partner close friend my days of being with one partner are long behind me do these secrets and thoughts generate any particular feelings towards yourself? Just the obvious. Huge shame and guilt, yet I can't seem to stop. Um, I really encourage you to get into a support group or go see a therapist because uh, addiction, we can't def- we can't defeat addiction on our own. We can't manage it on our own. Um, and it's no fun trying to manage it on our own. It's really kind of sad and lonely. Um, so... Uh, send a lot of love to you. You know, it really sounds like, um, objectifying women is, is like a safe, exciting place for, for you to go to. And I get it, man. I get it. Um, I can go to that place sometimes when I'm, when I'm feeling, feeling really threatened and, um, hating myself, but it's, it's a dead end. It's a dead end. And you don't, you're not beyond help. You're not beyond help. This is from Shame and Secrets, filled out by a a guy who calls himself um, Sullen Boy. He's uh, bisexual in his 40s, was raised in an environment that was a little dysfunctional. Um, uh, Ever been the victim of sexual abuse and stuff happened. I don't know if it counts. I went out with older men when I was 18 to 20. I was drugged and fucked repeatedly, but I kept going back. So, not sure. Uh, Well, you know, a lot of people that are violated will go back into situations that are similar to try to convince themselves that they had control and that it was something that they wanted. So, you know, that might be what's happening with you. Um, But again, my broken record, please go talk to somebody. Deepest, darkest secrets, my worst secret is that I'm pretty sure that despite all of these pills, hospitalizations, and doctors, I don't really want to get better. If I do, even a little, I think the world will, will crush me with expectations. It's terribly unfair to those who support me. I feel pretty shitty about it. And uh, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I have repeating dreams that I can autofillate. I have repeating dreams that I, uh, that I pay somebody to autofillate me. Wait, that would be blowing me. Oh, there goes my fantasy. Um, sending you a big hug. Jokes aside, sending you a big hug. This is filled out by uh, shame and Secrets filled out by a, a transgendered um person who calls uh him herself uh panda um transgendered female to male and um by the way, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I got an email from a um trans person who said it's okay to ask a trans person what pronoun they prefer um before calling them a a he or a, or a she. Some people get very, um, uptight about it and they would rather, um, this person said, you just come out and ask then maybe address them as what they don't want to be addressed. Um, Deepest, darkest thoughts and Panda is a 16 Uh, deepest, darkest thoughts. I sometimes want to die. And at times, the only reason I don't jump in front of oncoming trains, I'm about to board is knowing that I don't want to make the driver feel like the murderer. I've thought that before, too um i wish my ex would take me back so i wouldn't feel this way but i know i'm not good enough for her i worry that i've made up my mental illnesses but i'm unable to differentiate truth from lies on the flip side i also worry that i am much crazier than i even know boy i relate to that so much and i know it sounds like i'm always saying i relate to things but i really do i do not make it up when i when i don't relate um Deepest, darkest secrets I've made sexual advances that I am still not sure the other person, my ex, consented to. I have a bit of a gray-out period where everything is really fuzzy. It's a rather dark gray bordering on a blackout period. I'm also a bit of a compulsive thief from my mom. I meant to only steal $20 from her wallet, but due to it being really dark and me not wanting to wake her up, I stole 50 instead. And instead of returning it in a subtle way, I just spent a great portion of it in one day. I think I was in a bit of a hypomanic uh, episode, but this doesn't excuse my actions. I'm pretty sure all the things I've done in my life make me a terrible person. Don't give me that, oh, everyone makes mistakes BS, because I don't deserve it. Fuck you. You do deserve it. How's that? How's that for a, a ironic hug? Um, Panda... I had stolen $50 from my parents by the time I was eight years old. Um, So forgive yourself. Please forgive yourself. Oh, my God. You know, the list of things that you are beating yourself up about is on the curve of humanity. Um, You are so, I don't know what would be the word, ahead of the curve. Um, Please people have done way more scandalous things than that. Um, this is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a male who calls himself Me and the Boys. Uh, he's gay. He's in his 40s. was raised in a totally chaotic environment. Um, was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. And by the way, when when I see that on a survey, the most chaotic things and some of the most painful coping mechanisms that people have are the people that have checked off that box that they were the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Um, Deepest, darkest thoughts. Sometimes I think about self-immolation, not because I want to die a horrible, painful death, but to be heard, to have someone listen to what I need to say. Sounds strange. I know there are times when I get so angry and frustrated by the insanity of the world I live in. I imagine being Uh, I imagine taking a tire, a couple of gallons of gasoline, going to the town square of my city and just stand there on the stage, fill the tire with gas and light it. I'd leave behind a letter telling people to stop. Stop hating, stop killing, stop abusing. I imagine my father seeing it on the news and realizing that he's the one who destroyed so much of my life that it led to such a drastic moment. Deepest, darkest secrets. After many years of therapy and recovery, um, 12 step. I don't know if I have any left, um, any secrets. Uh, but the things I don't usually share are the sexual abuse my father did to me between the ages of 5 and 11. The flashbacks are still there, albeit less in, in the face than they used to be. I still don't talk about what he actually did with anyone but my therapist. Well, that's awesome that you're talking to your therapist though. The other big secret is that a result of the sexual, physical, and emotional abuse, I developed DID, uh, dissociative identity disorder. There are eight of us, me, the host, and quote, the boys as we're, we refer to them. It's difficult to live with DID at times. We've all worked really hard to develop a communication and trust pattern that makes it fairly easy when things are stable. Otherwise, let's just say it's weird on the inside. I can only imagine what it's like for those around me. Oh, and then there's this weird sexual attraction to my little brother. I don't know where it comes from, but it's been there a long time. He's tall, handsome, quote normal, and has the body I wish I had. I'm more of the all body, no limbs, round Scottish type. I've never had any sexual anything with my brother, never would, but sometimes I look at him and either wish I could be him or that I could have sex with him. Um, Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. The damage from the sexual abuse has this really messed up my main fantasy you know the one that keeps you in the bathroom longer than normal is about giving men oral gratification it's been my primary goal for as long as i can remember i imagine myself meeting a hot guy and going to his place where i get down on my knees he teases me making me beg for it when we're done his roommate comes home and wants the same from me this can go on with more men depending how long i stay in the bathroom wink this all goes back to being forced to do this to my father Um, Would you ever consider telling a partner, a close friend? I've talked to my therapist about this. I have not discussed it with my husband, although we've been in situations where he's seen slash watched me do this to other men. Do these secrets and thoughts generate any particular feelings towards yourself? There are lots of feelings about it. It Used to be that if I felt really good, used to be that it felt really good, fun, exciting. If I couldn't find a man who wanted an oral expert, I would feel useless, fat, ugly, rejected. It was really pathetic feeling. Today, I can't quite separate the knowledge that this obsession is linked to the father and the abuse. Now I feel confused and frustrated because I don't know how to act or feel. I still really enjoy oral sex, even casually, but there's always that lurking feeling that the compulsion-slash-obsession comes from and is polluted by the abuse, it makes me feel sad, angry, and frustrated uh, i feel I feel for you, and um it's so good that you're in recovery and therapy and um you know my therapist said the similar thing to me that I objectify myself because I was objectified um as a child, and you know what what was done to me was so minor compared to to what was what was done to you moving on this is uh, also from shame and secrets uh, survey filled out by a woman who calls herself dogs saved me Um, she is straight in her 40s was raised in an environment that was a little dysfunctional Um, she writes I only realized uh, via your podcast that a lack of love is dysfunctional um was the victim of sexual abuse, never reported it. Uh, deepest, darkest thoughts I've never had sober sex. I don't like myself physically, even though outwardly I'm pretty attractive. My ex fiance from years ago was the first person that told me I was attractive, but then he was a total mind fucked as he used to beat me up and was a grade A psycho. Uh, we are talking, he killed people through his terrorist organization. I stayed with him. Through fear, but finally left after a really bad beating, but only because I could leave the country I was living in. He followed me, and I was so scared and went into hiding. I tried to talk to my family about it, but they didn't want to talk about something this unpleasant. My sister's husband was killed soon after, so they didn't didn't need to deal with me, as this new thing was much more desirable, and taking care of her was easier. A widow. Holy crap. Seeing this written down makes me know I need to see a therapist. This is from two decades ago. Deepest, darkest secrets that I am a loser and can never be good enough. I have no friends as I don't think anyone would want me as a friend. Sexual fantasies most powerful to you? None. I have zero desire. Um. <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> having trouble. Having trouble swallowing my own saliva. <coughs> so sorry about that. Um. Yeah, I hope. I hope you go talk to somebody about that. That is a lot of really heavy surveys. This uh, this show. Let's lighten it up with a happy moment. This is from um, Anime Sister, and she writes: I was babysitting my little sister who was four. I decided that going on a picnic would be a fun outing, and would tire her out enough to get her to go down for a nap nicely. After a long walk, we got to the park. It was a beautiful sunny day, and we found a shady place in the lush green grass. I laid out our picnic towel. Uh, We hadn't been able to find a quilt and smiled because my little sister was jumping up and down with excitement for a picnic. Her pure joy at such a simple thing filled my heart. Almost as soon as we sat down, however, the bees descended on us and we walked home laughing that we had walked so far just to come right back. I made her laugh over and over by pretending that I had forgotten how to get home even though our house was in sight. When we got home, we laid the towel on the table and pretended we were back in the park without the bees. We didn't care a bit that we were eating uh, lunch inside. It was the thought that counted. It was the best picnic that I'd ever had. It was beautiful. This is from the struggle in a sentence filled out by Sarah about her alcoholism and drug addiction. She writes, running really fast just to stand still. I'm really related to that one. Um, same survey filled out by a woman who calls herself C uh, about her depression. She writes, like there's silt in my veins instead of blood. About her anxiety, constant agitation. Even when doing things that are fun and safe, it can never fully decompress. About her alcoholism and drug addiction. Don't have it yet, but terrified of developing it because it runs in my family. Well, you might not. You might not. Um, Uh, OCD, uh, I've become a checker this past year, bank account, doors, stove, windows, anything fire related. It's exhausting. Uh, sexual bias. I'm an educated person working in the restaurant industry. And sometimes I hate that I have to put up with so much sexual harassment, harassment as a part of my job. I know if I were really a professional in an industry I took seriously, I wouldn't play along with it and laugh it off when people comment on my ass and what they want to do to me. Um, hey beautiful etc but it feels intrinsic to the industry and they're just being playful slash friendly you know what I think a lot of guys don't understand because guys would say well you know I'd be flattered if you know somebody complimented my ass but I think what they forget is there's a different vibe when it's somebody who's physically imposing saying it to you and I don't think they can picture that so you know, men maybe just pause for a second and picture, um, picture like a a big guy or a you know a, a woman who's like, you know, physically towering over you. And right now, there's a little guy going, "Yeah, that's my fantasy." Fuck you. I don't know. I hope you get my what I'm what I'm trying to say. Um. Although I get the feeling those kind of guys aren't the kind that listen to this podcast. Maybe they are. Maybe I'm just preaching to the choir. Uh, About living with an abuser, she writes, living with my mother was like living in a house full of landmines. Um, About being an abuser, she writes, when I was younger and would act out in abusive ways towards family and friends, felt like I temporarily lost all control and a supercharged energetic force raged out of me, overtaking my free will and wrecking havoc wreaking havoc without my consent. At the same time, uh, I felt like a, a cathartic release until I saw my sister's crying face if I yelled at her or hit her. This is from The Shame, and send in a big, a big hug to you. It sounds like you got a lot on your plate, too. Um, and I don't know about the, the s- stuff happening at your, at your workplace. I wonder if there's a way that you can... Stick up for yourself without it, um, I don't know, becoming a big ugly scene. You know, I've I've seen women before that have a way of just stopping people in their tracks um, without exploding. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out. I love this guy's name. Chocolate Hobo. He is straight in his 20s. I was raised in a totally chaotic environment. Deepest, darkest thoughts. I'm not sure if I have feelings anymore. I feel like I must have drank them away. I pretend to have feelings and love, but on some level, I would not care if even those closest to me died. Um, Deepest, darkest secrets. I have done some monstrous, monstrous things. I'm having trouble speaking tonight. I have done some monstrous things while drunk. Once on a vacation, I met a 14-year-old runaway. I told him he could sleep on the floor of my motel room. Uh, He left his stuff in there, and we left together to get booze. I got separated at some point, and I went back to the room and passed out drunk. I woke up to him pounding on the door, asking to get his stuff. He said he at least wanted his sweater because it was cold. I ignored him in my stupor, and in the morning, I went through his stuff, which was a Game Boy, a few coloring books, and an alarm clock. I pawned the Game Boy and bought booze. You know, that's, that's what we do as alcoholics and addicts. When we're in our disease, nobody nobody matters to us. I don't, it doesn't say if, you, if you're still drinking, but if you are, I think that would be the first thing to look at. And if you can't stop, I would go get help like I'm giving him advice and didn't even ask for it. I hope I don't give advice too much on this show. Um, this is from The Shame and Secrets, uh, filled out by John. He is straight in his 20s, was raised in an environment that was a little dysfunctional, never been sexually abused, deepest, darkest thoughts, having a sexual relationship with students I teach at elementary, elementary school, particularly with two fourth-grade students, one fifth-grade student, and two sixth-grade students. Deepest, darkest secrets, taking pictures of middle school girls with my phone as I go to work or leave work, and following a few girls to their schools on a few occasions. Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you, having sex with the students that I teach, having them come to my apartment engage in sexual acts, nothing kinky, just typical sexual acts I would have with an older woman. The only difference is these girls are between 10 and 14. Um would you ever consider telling a partner close friends never i would be automatically cut off from them the friendship or relationship would end right there a social stigma would be put on me as well do these secrets and thoughts generate any particular feelings towards yourself a feeling of disgust because i have these feelings however i don't act upon them i will never act upon them and the reason i wanted to to read your survey john is because it it sounds like you're really playing with fire by taking these pictures and following These students, and you may not have any intention of acting upon it now, but it sounds like you're feeding um, that part of you. And you know, people that engage in addictive behaviors and don't keep it in check, don't go to any kind of support groups or things like that, the line keeps getting pushed back as to what they find acceptable. And my fear is is that's what's going to happen with you if you don't talk to somebody, get some help, or curb these areas. Because, you know, uh, taking pictures of those girls or following them, you know, if they they see that happening, that's traumatic. That's traumatic to them. That's going to affect their worldview and how they view uh, men. And that affects other men. That doesn't just affect um, them. Um, the ripples are far-reaching. So um, sending you a big hug and and asking you to get help. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself JP. And um, Deepest, Darkest Thoughts. Uh, a few weeks ago, i had begun feeling weird about the large butcher knife in my kitchen and scissors laying on the counter. After some days, a week had passed, I was home alone when a voice or thought in my head said, kill your husband. It scared the hell out of me. On multiple nights, there were thoughts of stabbing him, and I have been afraid of letting myself fall asleep at times for fear of sleepwalking. I love my husband very much. There's absolutely no violence in our relationship, and I have never acted violent towards another person in my life. I don't know why these thoughts come into my head. They cause me profound shame, guilt, and sadness. It also completely shakes what tenuous trust I have in myself. Deepest, darkest secrets? I think about doing a lot of things, but I haven't followed through, so I'm not sure if it counts as secrets, like finding and doing hard drugs, having an affair, running away, killing myself, etc. I suppose the secret might be the extent to which I think about these things. You know, um, it it strikes me as um, like an unwanted thoughts uh, syndrome and I would imagine the therapist would help you kind of sift what might be an issue from what's just unwanted thoughts but it you know it really strikes me as just you're putting too much importance on those thoughts that pop into our head that we have no control over i've shared them before the things that i think about um i think of horrible things sometimes they just pop into my head and they're gone in a flash i I think the ones that we need to be concerned about are the ones that we that we that excite us you know what i mean that 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 You know, like, like when I want to punch when I'm playing hockey and I like want to punch somebody in the face. Um, (laughs) Last night I was playing and it was a playoff. So, of course, we're all taking it very seriously. And there's this guy I play against who's we're friends outside the rink. But he's he's a real hothead and like way, way worse than I am. He gets suspended like every four games for getting in a fight. And his team was beating ours. There was 10 seconds left. They're up by two goals. And for no reason, he just bowls me over. Just both forearms right to my head, knocks me off my feet. And I get up. I'm like, what the fuck? Why, why did you? You know, and he gets a penalty. And so he goes to the box. I'm like, Sean, why did you do that? What? You know, that was really bullshit. And he goes, fuck you. And I'm like, fuck you. Fuck me. Fuck you. And then I started screaming at him, go get therapy. Go see a therapist. You need fucking therapy. And I apologized to him like 15 seconds later, and we we're both laughing about it. But, you know, that's a part of myself that I need to look at when I get into that rage and I and I hurt people's feelings. Um, all right. Uh, this is from Shame and Secret Survey, filled out by a woman who calls herself Crabface. Love, I love the names you guys give yourself. Um, she's bisexual in her 30s, was raised in an environment that was a little dysfunctional, And um, was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Uh, Deepest, darkest thoughts. I have dreams and thoughts about my father raping me. I don't want it, but aspects of our relationship are a bit too close, and he is also very aggressive. I've also been raped in the past. My brain seems to put the two together to create my worst nightmare. Um, deepest, darkest secrets. I've spoken to my therapist about my abusive experiences and my rape. I am terrified to share with him that I touched myself during the rape to make it feel okay. Needless to say, it didn't change anything. I'm afraid my therapist will tell me that that makes it not rape. I'm afraid if he says that, that I will feel even deeper shame about my experience and PTSD because I will no longer have a legitimate reason for feeling as chaotic as I do. Um, there is you should feel no shame about what happened to you you should feel no shame about touching yourself you know who isn't going to try to lessen the, the situation you know that that would be like blaming yourself for looking away for not looking that person you know, in the face when it when it's happening, you know, you're in an overwhelming environment, an overwhelming situation that's terrifying. Who doesn't? Who isn't going to reach for some semblance of control? That's what our fantasies are. After stuff happens to us that's that's traumatic, is we want to go back and and have that control. And if your therapist says that that makes it not rape, uh, first of all, punch him in the face or her in the face. Try to get all your money back and tell them to fuck off and go find another therapist. But I can't imagine any decent therapist is uh, going to shame you for that. And so please, please uh, forgive yourself. Um, And of course, sexual fantasies are totally related to that. Um, Her fantasy is being raped. I cannot have sex without a few pints of hard liquor in me and a man on top smothering me while I lay there emotionless. Uh, You know, it is all about trying to go back and take control. It's not about that's what you want intrinsically. Um, so please, please be gentle with yourself and show some compassion for yourself and share that with your therapist. Please share that with your therapist. Um, and she says, um, any comments to make the podcast uh, better? Um, nope, it's helped me a great deal. I would like to give you a big hug. Well, if we ever meet in person, I will take that hug. It's one of the things when I do go out on the road. I love meeting you guys and, and getting hugs and giving hugs. Now I'm judging myself seeing that sounds cheesy. Uh, this is the last thing I want to read before um, a happy moment. This is, um, and this is a nice email. This is from, um, what does she want me to call her? Jenny. That's actually her name. And she writes, Hi, Paul. Uh, I mailed emailed a while back around December 2011. Um, I doubt you'll remember mine, but I wrote about my struggle with tr- trichotillomania. That's where you pull hairs out. And you mentioned it on the show. I just want to let you know that a month ago, I finally broke free from it. I had one 30-minute session of hypnotherapy and the urge to pull out my hair completely dissolved. It's only been a month, but I know that it's gone because the tingling I've felt for the past 12 years under my scalp and in my eyelashes has vanished. I feel so happy and free. I started pulling when I was nine and I'm almost 22 now. I'm so excited to grow out the pixie cut I have that hides my bald spots and to have long hair again. My confidence has increased immensely. And for the first time in my life, I feel like a woman. I want to encourage any of your listeners that are struggling with this condition to go online and look for a hypnotherapy MP3. A quick Google will turn up a bunch of great inexpensive options. Um, and then I emailed her back and I said, uh, congrats. And to clarify, was the session done with you just listening once to an MP3 by yourself? And she write wrote, uh, it was done by myself. It can d- uh be described as a binaural um beat slash white noise, and binaurals B-I-N-A-U-R-A-L, and I believe that means um uh two noises, I think in different different ears. Um it's a binaural beat slash white noise combination mixed with the therapist's voice. The voice altered um, between, alternated between the left and right ear, and it definitely puts you in a trance-like state. I listened to it as I fell asleep. You can definitely uh, post this or read it on air. Just call me Jenny. Thank you for that. I love hearing. I love hearing solutions, especially new ones, ones we haven't heard before. This is a happy moment from uh, Kira, and she writes, "Um, Fishing with my dad on an early Saturday morning, um, it was almost sacred in my younger years. It became one of the few instances where, for the first time, I saw my father completely relaxed, happy even. He would wake me up at 5 a.m., and I would fill up our water bottles while he hitched the boat onto the truck. We would uh, go through our checklists, uh, hats, water, sunscreen, life jackets. Then we were off to the gas station next. But just like every car ride, there was never an engaging conversation or even friendly chatter. Just complete silence the whole 28 miles to the next town over with the cheap donuts and gas. Once we were out on the water, he became a completely different man. He made jokes, smiled a carefree kind of boyish smile that I can only just remember. We caught fish, ate cheap donuts, And I could feel a heaviness just lifted from him when we were fishing. That was beautiful. Thank you for that. And uh, I just want to read a quote from Viktor Frankl, um, the Holocaust survivor who wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And he writes, the one thing you can't take, take away from me is the way I choose to respond to what you do to me. The last of one's freedoms is to choose one's attitude in any given circumstance. It's such a great quote, such a profound book. Well, thank you guys for, for listening. And um, thanks to my guests and all you guys who buried your souls on the surveys. And uh, thanks for your feedback. And I hope if you listened, you had a little bit more hope than you did or you were entertained or compelled or whatever. Got some cleaning done. Got through your job that you hate. And I hope you know that you are most definitely not alone.